some of the cases are really so intense. When I see a situation of a patient who just came over the border with a pregnancy unattended to, it just brings back so much of the foundation of what's important to me and what is important to my patient. And holding on to the fact, it's my role to not only be a physician, but to also advocate for this person. And that's the biggest, it's, I don't want to call it a pressure. It's just like a responsibility, a social responsibility to really advocate as a human for another human. This is the Visible Voices podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Risa Lewis. In today's episode, I speak with Ruthie Schatz and Dr. Mirtha Makri. If you scroll back to episode 50, listeners, you'll see that I've recorded with this duo before. At that time, we talked about Lennox Hill, a docuseries on Netflix. Well, today we speak about another docuseries on Netflix entitled Emergency NYC, as in New York City. Ruthie is an award-winning documentarian. She's a writer, she's a director, she's a producer, and with her husband, Adi Barish, they are Ulari Films. Mirtha is an emergency medicine physician. She trained at St. Luke's Roosevelt and currently works at Northwell Health. She wears an administrative cap of patient safety and quality improvement. Now, I bring up St. Luke's Roosevelt because I worked there for 12 years, and that's how Mirtha and I first met. We were paired as mentor-mentee and, well, as faculty resident, and so we took care of patients together. When we get to the conversation, I've focused on Ruthie and asked her how exactly she does it. How does she so accurately portray patients, scenarios, and care in the hospital, in the ambulance? at the bedside, by an emergency physician, by another type of physician. She just really, really, really captures it. Now, trigger warning, we do talk about gun violence and we do talk about the accumulative effects of trauma. Um, And finally, we really, really, really talk about the accurate portrayal of medicine in New York City as a representation of what's happening in America. Before we pressed record, Mirtha and I were speaking and I was saying how you just really, really capture emergency medicine and acute care medicine in New York City and the boroughs really, really accurately, really well. I think for any listeners, any viewers that are like, is that an exaggeration? Was that dramatization for television? It's not. You really capture the physicians, the patients, the caretakers, the non-physician healthcare professionals who are featured in the film. Mirtha, you were the emergency medicine focus in Lenox Hill and the emergency medicine focus in emergency NYC from the physician perspective. What changed for you between the two? So a lot happened between the two major events, right? As we had a pandemic that was prolonged when everybody thought it would only be a few months, it turned into years of our lives. And I think that most people's lives in healthcare were completely transformed in some way, whether big or small. And for me, I think that we already had a healthcare crisis. I wasn't as, I want to say, informed or uh, on it like I was after the pandemic, because at least in emergency medicine, what we saw were all the people who already had struggles within our healthcare system, socioeconomic struggles, personal, mental health, everything somewhat unraveled and lost control for some of these patients. So then I feel like after the pandemic, all of this was uncovered, unearthed, and where we saw, you know, a family of four have minimal resources, then we saw 
the magnitude of it really we we saw it so much more and i think emergency nyc shows those struggles and the the crisis that's going on in our country with everything from our healthcare system to healthcare inequity and gun violence and we're much more aware and proactive some of us um, as physicians as to what the challenges we are facing and we're also seeing it personally because we have a higher burnout rate after the pandemic i think that's one of the biggest factors where i'm seeing some of my colleagues you know struggling as myself in the beginning i i had some challenges that i had to overcome in order to you know move forward in a stable way so that's the biggest difference Ruthie, when you and I first met, I said, you know, you seem to have a penchant, a bent alike for medical stories and showing emergency and critical care. And I'm wondering what you saw as a change in the actors who aren't actors, the actual healthcare professionals from filming Lenox Hill to filming Emergency NYC. After the pandemic, it felt like everybody's beaten up, you know, and, uh, super exhausted, feeling even more unseen as they have before. If you'd think that the pandemic flushed everything out and made them more seen, people looking for escapism right now. And there's something so for granted, you know, in doctors and physicians in general, that people are very quickly forget. And so I've seen people that are at the edge of their, you know, abilities super frustrated, super worn out. It's not that they feel unappreciated, but I think, you know, it's just an overall fatigue that uh, is super taxing. And it was apparent. It was a hardcore production in that sense, you know, having to deal with all these feelings of people. Yeah. The series is eight episodes, and I'm just going to list the titles of each episode. Number one was You're Not Alone, Ready or Not, Under Pressure, Walking to America, No Guts, No Glory, Home Sweet Home, Reset, and Change of Heart. As the director-producer, how did these get ordered? How did you organize them? When you film documentary, you have an idea and you have some sort of script in your mind, but basically you're organizing chaos, right? And so throughout the production um, and through the experiences we had, we figured out what are the main topics we want to touch and what are the main topics in the country that are crucial to be handled. And one of them was, of course, the gun violent issue. It was what we just talked about, the fatigue and um, those relationships with the patients and the fact that you never know what to expect and you never know what you're going to get. And you have to really recruit yourself and bring the best in you to solve these situations. So, you know, when you're building a structure, a story, uh, anything cinematic, you're trying to make sense of it and build something that will be inherently, you know, powerful and propelling, but also will, will tell something new in a manner that will make sense to you, right? And to the audience. So I think each one of these episodes is, is some sort of the trajectory that we felt that each one of the characters is going through and also healthcare in a way. And so you, you're really beaten up, you're worn out and everything, but ultimately you choose this. It's something that you have to be super passionate about. So the change of heart really speaks to all these elements. And of course, we illustrated it with the heart at the end. 
but it is all part of this cosmos, you know, of life. And one of the most beautiful thing about medicine and the reason we are actually so hard to leave this territory and move to other things is that you have a whole life in front of you in this cooped up place. And it can be 20, 100 hospitals, but it, they all deal with the same thing, right? Saving people's life. And you have these individuals that are doing something that nobody else does. You know, they're actually doing something meaningful that has consequences. Yeah. Organizing the chaos, which is very much what we do in emergency medicine. And Martha, there's actually a scene where you're out on the street. It's nighttime. You're taking a break and you're speaking to the camera. You're like, I love this. I love anything. Who knows what's going to come in? It's that time of night. Speak a little bit about your experience and the episodes you're in, the storylines that are shown and how it actually is quite reflective of where we are right now in healthcare. Yeah, I think that Ruthie and Adi told a beautiful story. It really came together so nicely. I, I never imagined that it would tell such an impactful story. But, you know, one thing that I, like I mentioned before, from the first season to the second series, I was more awake. There were issues that were so impactful, the crisis going on in healthcare, gun violence, the opiate crisis. And we saw all that manifest, like right in real time. And I think it brought me like a heightened awareness of the type of doctor I've become, the type of partner I've become, the type of parent, daughter, all those things sort of manifested itself all in one so that now when I see a situation and, and some, some of the cases are really so intense, you know, when I see a situation of a patient who just came over the border with a pregnancy unattended to, it just brings back so much of the foundation of what's important to me and what is important to my patient and under always holding on to the fact it's my role to not only be a physician, but to also advocate for this person. And that's the biggest it's, I don't want to call it a pressure. It's just a, like a responsibility, a social responsibility to really advocate as a human for another human. Yeah. Ruthie, you definitely feature pregnant women in Lenox Hill as well as in Emergency NYC. And I'm wondering if you can dive a little deeper into why. It's funny enough because this show actually started, well, our medical interest started from my pregnancy. I was having a very troubled pregnancy. Um, and during that time, my mom was dying um, and we were hospitalized in the same hospital. And at that point, Adi and myself, we started writing fiction hospital show because the situations were so extreme and we learned to know the people in the inside so well and understand how complicated it is. And, and the front that we used to know from other programs or shows is so out of reality, you know? And so that's one thing, but I think, you know, to go away from my experience, which I talked about a lot before, the experience of life and death at a hospital is a powerful thing. And ultimately what we're doing is we're portraying humanity in its best form. And going from giving life to this world and helping people to do something very, very basic and very natural and having to deal with all the circumstances, the families and everything around it through life and death is such a powerful thing. Also, not just for storytelling at large, you know, there's so much lack of hope in the world and there, there's so much we can do as filmmakers to polarize 
subject that can give some hope. And I think, you know, without romanticizing it too much, I think, you know, it's one of our goals to be able to give something back and to make people, you know, have a second look at how life should look like and what it is to be giving, you know? And so I think that's why, but also because it's inherently, you know, something that happened in a hospital, which I don't think it should, but it does. (laughs) That's for a different discussion. I'm still in love with New York City and New York City is exquisitely photogenic. Ruthie, I think you and I share this passion and this love. In Emergency NYC, there are a lot of shots at night, beautiful lights, skyline pictures. And also, and this comes directly from one of the episodes, sirens are the soundtrack of the city. You know how it is when you you know, you meet someone and you feel so comfortable in your skin. That's how it is for me in New York. So everywhere I go and everything I see is, is a joy for me, except for the trash on the streets that <laughs> that is overwhelming in the past few years. The city has so many stories to tell. So everything about it is captivating for me. And the night, the day, the the bridges, the variety of people you have here, the conflict you see constantly on the street, the love, the the diversity. It's like, it's really, it feels to me so many times as the only sane place on earth in a way, you know, that have millions of people. It's the most populated city um, in America. And, it, and yet with that, it has such an amazing synchronicity and the sounds, like the soundtrack of the city, it's, I really pushed for this line because it really signified New York. You come to New York from anywhere else, the first thing you hear is those sirens. And there are all these millions of people, someone needs to take care of them. So I think, you know, I'm always fascinated with capturing the city cinematically and which new angle I can bring that I haven't seen yet. But I, I saw it myself, but I haven't seen it captured. It really speaks to, I think, to Adi and I's aesthetics and the things that we love. Um, We come from a fiction background, although we only did documentaries, but that's what we learned. And I've been writing since I was three, like it's my world. And so whatever story, even if it's documentary, I will always try to crack the story. And through the visuals, you know, you can say so much, um, especially about New York. I'm Dr. Risa E. Lewis, dropping in to tell you about a book that Dr. Adair Landry and I wrote. It's called Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact. It's a business self-help book being published in April of 2024 by HarperCollins. We believe every future goal, complicated task, and healthy habit can be broken down into simple, measurable, and tiny skills that you can practice and then excel by removing obstacles, overcoming assumptions, and maximizing your potential at work and in life. You can pre-order it now. Go to bookshop.org, amazon.com, or wherever you buy your books. The emergency department is the portal of entry. We see it all, Mirtha. And, you know, the specific storylines, the patients that are captured in your scenes, in your interactions, in your episodes, really hit on houselessness, uh, lack of access to medications, someone setting fire to their apartment and then insisting on going home. and. I'm interested in your perspective on the patients that were featured. I still am in awe at how this story came together because I think that everything that Ruthie and Adi wanted to portray for the world 
it all came together across all these different specialties. Specifically, emergency medicine, where the front line, where the doors open, that this is where the party starts. And every patient I feel that we got in each series represented, you know, an important issue crisis going on right now in this country. Um, mm-hmm. Everything from homelessness, um, migrant medicine, which we are still seeing. Actually, when we did the series, that was the beginning of the migrant influx in New York City. And in the last, I want to say in the last year alone within Greenwich Village, we have three very full migrant hotels, hotels that belong to New York, that were in use prior to the migrant influx for tourism and now are migrant hotels. And, you know, we learned to care for patients that have absolutely no form of healthcare medication. It's like we're working with someone who has never seen even a physician. And to see that in New York City is just, you know, unbelievable, but it's happening right now. And so our patients that come into the ER in the series really are a true reflection of what are the crises that we are facing as Americans, maybe not personally, but what are other people facing? Yeah. Yeah. It's completely accurate portrayal of what's going on in medicine and certainly in New York City. Ruthie, I'm wondering, I'm particularly interested in the cumulative effects of trauma, effects on physicians, but also the effect on bystanders and witnesses. And Ruthie, the extent to which you and Adi feel traumatized or felt that trauma based on the patient scenarios or the trauma surgery, the gun violence? It's so interesting. I think about it a lot because it really takes time to process all of that, you know, and when you're filming, you sort of protected behind the camera and you, and we have this mechanism of detachment where you really try not to be present at the moment and just like look at it from a perspective, it's kind of insane how you have to cut yourself. And, but in the instance of this child, you know, that he, he was brought up to the hospital with his mom, it was devastating to a level that I, I can't even like totally break it down for myself yet because, you know, we were there, you see this mom, it can be you, you know, I, I instantly thought about myself, about my child, about my kids, about what's going on in this city. I live in a neighborhood where hundred yards from me, there are shooting all the time, you know, and it really catches you and gives you a crazy perspective about this life and how, you know, how precious they are, but also how fragile they are. And this kid, it really I'm still in touch with him. I I care about him deeply. And, you know, I care about everyone that I film, but there was something about it that really resonated with me is the age of my son, you know, and it is hard. Um, But we do talk a lot about it and we have great supportive system. I think we managed to create throughout the years in our production company, this open space for everyone to talk also with our editors, you know, they also have to face all these materials. And sometimes it's much more horrendous when you see it on the editing table, rather than you on location, because on, on location, you have all the people around you, you see the efforts of helping people, you feel part of something bigger. But when you get it into your safe space, it can be really shocking and really distorting. So we have a lot of talks about it. We analyze everything and we really support our people and get support ourselves. 
I was through therapy through this production, which I haven't been in years. I really needed that support and also having to help my, my people as well. And, you know, right now I feel, for example, I'm so happy that, you know, I'm dealing with other stuff right now because I'm so burnt. Like I, I, I really need this moment to reflect on everything that we've done and see how I can, you know, uh, how I can be in a different space and helping other things. Cause there's at the moment, nothing in me that I can give, or I cannot face being in such situation in the near future. Although I know it's going to go away fast. I said it last time and it was very quickly, you know, the, the pandemic hit and we did another episode and then we were few months later into emergency. I just love this work so much. I do feel like I have a mission here. I feel like it's important to show these things. I feel like it's important to show what the doctors are going through. And this is part of the reason we choose to portray these things so openly. And I know it's visceral and it's painful and it's gut-wrenching to watch these things, but it's super important because it really helps you understand their framework and where their mental health states, the doctors, the physicians, the nurses, what they need to bring home is this baggage that I was, you know, my earth was shaking when I saw this kid, but they have it on a daily basis. You know, I, throughout this production, because it's emergency, we've seen things that I haven't seen in all the years that I was filming medicine and having to have this charge as a acute medicine doctor to bring it home with you, it's huge. And it really, it's a testament to what an amazing people they are and how big they are in that sense. Even if they say, I have a technique, I know how to block it, all these things, they are still human beings and it goes with them, you know, it, it has a toll. Yeah. So I think someone needs to tell it and I, you know, and I feel very comfortable in my skin telling it. So, I, you know, whatever, as hard as it is, I'll keep telling this story. Bertha, I'm interested in your reflections on this cumulative effect of trauma that we receive as emergency physicians and about your own voice. Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> Another thing that I noticed from the beginning, from Lenox Hill to Emergency NYC was, I think I've mentioned this, not only a change in myself, but a change in my colleagues. And it was so obvious that many of us were in different stages of healing. And some of us still are. Life still goes on. We still have our own impacting, you know, crises that happen in our lives that on top of that, we have to go to work and manage another crisis. And it's tough. It's almost like maneuvering through a storm. And how do you block certain aspects of that? And how do you balance your own mental health with your professional life? And I, I think that's been the biggest challenge for me right now is balancing, you know, my own mental health, watching my colleague try to balance that as well and entering a new branch uh, within my career of administrative quality work. And at the same time, keeping my passions going. So I, I do have passions outside of this. I think that the series opened the doors for a lot of those and are helping me to manifest my voice and amplify it. Because I think it's one thing finding it, but then when you find it, how do you use it? How do you keep it going? How do you keep it growing? And, and right now I feel like I'm at a, a golden time in my life. You know, I, I feel good 
but a lot of that requires a lot of work. And I always go back after the series, you know, the series opened up my mind to like, what are my roots? Like, what is my foundation? And I think that your question of when did you, you find your voice is such an important question. And I think about that question all the time, Risa, all the time, apart from this podcast. And, um, it's such an important question. I think everybody should ask themselves because I think we all have a voice and we all have the ability to, you know, finesse it and manifest it and amplify it. And, and that's where I'm at right now. I think the show made me more aware of what my platform is, what my agency is, and using that to not only be a better doctor, because I, I do feel like I'm a better doctor after all this, but also being a better partner, a better colleague, a better friend, a better mother, you know, all these ways that I can improve myself and giving us ourselves more credit than what we normally give ourselves. Beautiful. Ruthie, you were able to capture the chaos in a way that you made it look easy. And I know it was not easy. What were your tricks or what did you learn perhaps from Lennox Hill that made it even easier for you to access getting the action this time? There are no shortcuts. You don't really learn anything. The reality is super chaotic. It's unexpected. Every situation needs to be handled with, you know, the best of care. You have to be super gentle and read the room in a manner that really allows you to be careful, be sensitive to people. All these things are taken into effect when you're filming. We train our crew to be very diligent about what they're doing. And it was super, super complicated. And there isn't any trick. It's a lot of sensitivity and caring and, and having a very trained people, you know, around you that can help you execute it. But I think mainly is that we remain very small. We are usually a team of two max. And, you know, we have someone who's taking care of all the signing and all these things, but once we start filming, this person is in the background and we can, you know, we can allow ourselves to be more dynamic in the room. But there's never an easy access to that. You both have brought up the prominent storyline of gun violence. In fact, from one of the episodes, Gun Violence, an American Form of Tragedy. I'm interested, Ruthie, in your reflection on gun violence in America, given that you are familiar with another country and part of your own life has been in Israel. I mean, look, it's so interesting because, you know, in Israel, soldiers, they, they have guns, they bring them home, they put them under the bed. There are no incidents ever. It is mind boggling to see what's going on here with the weapons. But it's, I think it really taps to a lot of things here that are mainly economics. You know, like what really leads the decision making of how this country is going to look like comes from capitalism and comes from the fact that money is God. And so this is really affects a lot of things, education, gun violence, mental health, public health. The fact that you really need to think twice. If you're really sick, you need to think twice if to go to the hospital So I think guns falls into the same box because those legislators, ultimately what they see in front of them is money. And it's really upsetting and sad. And it's something that needs to be changed from the root. It's very painful and scary to see. I think four times before my son goes into the subway and 
it's a heartbreaking situation. And, you know, all we can do as filmmakers is to flash it, you know, and, but I have to tell you, people don't necessarily want to see painful things. Um, they want everything to be washed for them uh, because reality is really hard and, you know, it's easier to see all, only the glitters of yeah. things. What about the theme of transplant surgery and organ transplantation and giving life in that way? That seemed very important to the series. Yes, it's something we dealt with before. We did it in Israel as well. In Israel, it's more easy to be able to access both uh, donor and receiver. Here, the laws are more protective, which is fine with me. I think the more important thing is to actually show that people do that. And instead of someone wasting his organ and let them sink into the ground, it actually goes and saves someone. It's very interesting, very important. It's something to advocate for. And like I said, you know, we, we do have a mission in what we're doing. We want to affect change. And this was definitely one of the things that we wanted to promote. It's, it's a worldwide issue. It's not just here. It's a problem all over the world. Yeah. Ruth, I want to circle back with what you shared. You were the featured emergency physician in Lenox Hill and then in Emergency NYC. At this point, having completed both of these projects, what's keeping you up at night? That's a wonderful question. I think about a lot of things lately. I feel that the things I'm thinking about or are keeping me up at night are very different than what was keeping me up three years ago. And I'm thinking about how to elevate what's important to me and keeping myself in a state of balance so that I can move my platform forward, not only for myself, but also for the people that I'm that I'm serving essentially that I'm that I'm treating cuz I think one of the biggest things of why emergency medicine physicians and probably other specialties too are feeling the burnout is you know we came back to not only just being doctors and practicing medicine now it's almost like we wear many different hats and there's an ethical and moral portion to this you know I don't love going home and knowing that you know, because of a budget cut, there's no social worker. I don't have an addiction counselor available and I'm left to, you know, possibly, and, and I have, I'll, I'll call these patients back on my own on, you know, my off time. And there's a lot of moral heaviness involved in that. So I'm, I'm taking a lot more home with me. So I, now a lot of things are keeping me up at night that didn't before. And, you know, and it all translates, like Ruthie mentioned, to your own family. You know, this is not a place where I want my kids to be. I, you know, I, I don't want to see my parents in a place like this or my, my spouse. And, and so how do I protect them and at the same time keep myself balanced so that I can be a better person all around? And, you know, at the same time, I, I have to raise humans that I, that I want them to be good. I want them to be good humans and understand, you know, their, their roots, their foundation, and really the severity of, they don't have to know everything that's going on around them. They're too young. You know, they're not like older children, but understanding the power of resilience and building a confidence that personally, it took me a, a while to build that confidence to really elevate my voice. Mirtha was talking about anxiety. For me, when I don't portray these stories, when I don't flash those stories, when I don't deal with things and show people how it is and what's going on, I get more anxious, even in my own skin, you know, because I'm, 
I'm not there. I'm not experiencing it. There is something about dealing with this field as a filmmaker and as a spectacle that really allows you to look deep into those things you're afraid of and being able to actually harness them, deal with them, be more knowledgeable. So I think it's in that sense, and it's also the experience of people that watch this show, you know, they say, I was so afraid, I was skittish, I was this and that. It was so awkward for me to see these things. But now when I saw that, I feel like so much more empowered and knowledgeable. And I thank you for it. Like these are the letters that I get. And we get like literally hundreds of them. You know, people are so appreciative of the fact that we expose them to something that they were dreading. And now once they, they faced it, they realize how important it is to be knowledgeable and to see it. And I think also for Mirtha and a lot of the physicians that we captured, these are super sensitive people that I know that if they won't be involved in giving and doing for others, they will be so anxious and so disturbed because there's something so therapeutic in the ability to actually heal people and help them resolve their issues, even though you know you're so small in the process and this is incremental, you know, like piece in, in this puzzle. But it's so much better than, you know, the other option of not being involved, not being engaged or not doing anything. Theresa, wrap up. Special thanks to Ruthie and to Mirtha. You are respected. You are appreciated. And I love your voice. I love your authenticity. And I love how much you feel the importance of this work. Three take-home points I have for you, audience, is number one, storytelling. Number two, the cumulative effects of trauma. And number three, gun violence. Stories connect us. Stories move us. Stories provide understanding. Stories provide perspective and a window into a life that maybe is not your life, but it is the life of others. Next, the cumulative effects of trauma. If you were to look at the archives of the Visible Voices podcast and listen to some of the conversations, this is a topic that comes up a lot with my guests. I think because it's something that I see, it's something that I feel with my guests. And I think many people coming out of the pandemic and even pre-pandemic, just based on the way some of our institutions and workplaces are structured, are really traumatized. Finally, gun violence, a uniquely American epidemic. And boy, is it a disease. I think all of us should think about, take a deep look on how we can do better, how we can make a difference, how we can create safer society for everybody. That's what I got this week. See you next time. The Visible Voices podcast amplifies voices both known and unknown, discussing topics of healthcare, equity, and current trends. We are a production of the People's Media Network. Our team includes Dr. Giuliano DePorto and me, Dr. Risa E. Lewis. Please find me on social media at Risa E. Lewis and through the website, thevisiblevoicespodcast.com. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us. Share the podcast with a friend today. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, to be continued.